Hi, this is Joan as Policewoman. To celebrate the release of Joanthology, I've made a series of podcasts with my friend, Vanessa. Vanessa, hi. Hi, Joan. What's up? <laughs> Who I've been working with since my first record. In each of the podcasts, I will be discussing a specific record or records. Today's podcast is about real life. Yes, yes. I want to have it. Yes, yes. I want to have you now. I wanna show you how I can't be the lighter. I can't be the lighter. Just in case you never know. All right, so we're gonna begin with um, at the beginning, obviously. Not the beginning. So, when did you become Joan as policewoman, and what made that happen? Well, I had been playing my violin in bands for a number of years. And I really had no interest in singing or being a songwriter or fronting a band. I just really wanted to figure out a way to get the violin integrated into a band, not like it had been previously. I mean, certainly John Cale led the way, you know, but I, I wanted to figure out how to sort of make it more of a rhythm instrument rather than like an annoying top line playing thing. So I'd been doing that for a long time. I, I had established myself in that way, and I was getting other work from that, from my reputation for being a, a unique player. And then I suffered a great loss. I, uh, I lost my, my boyfriend, and it threw me into state of mind that I... I um, I was just lost. I was uh, I was in Memphis with the band. Jeff's body had not been found, and we were all waiting. We didn't know anything, uh, and we started going into the practice space there and just playing music to um, let out some of the unwieldy emotions. <laughs> And um, I doubt it was singing. It was probably more like moaning, screaming, crying. Uh, I was doing something into the microphone. I didn't have my instrument with me. Right. I'm not saying that was my singing career. It was definitely the first time I realized that that was a, a way to release some very overwhelming emotions that I had no other way of dealing with. Mm-hmm. Anyway, parts of Jeff's band and I put a band together. And which band was that? What was that? That was called Black Beetle, and that was a band, in my opinion, uh, put together to sort of survive that time. Okay. Uh, and but what it also did was got me songwriting and singing. We recorded a lot of stuff, and in the end, released none of it. It really felt like a a. a a, a just a way like a workshop right okay and and really like a way to to stay alive honestly uh so in 2002 that disbanded and i had some songs that i had written by myself and i started playing solo shows which was horrifying for me because having my voice be there with just another instrument was just it was 
it was very it was very scary. Mm. Uh, and so it was billed as Joan Wasser, and people were thinking that I was playing solo violin shows. Right. Uh, so I realized I, I needed to change my name to reflect the fact that it was not me as a violin player. And I saw my friend Ruben on the street one day, and I was wearing some kind of ridiculous baby blue polyester three-piece pantsuit. Uh, yeah, and it was the summer. I was like, oh. so it's fully polyester, disgusting. What I will do for fashion is really um, embarrassing. Uh, and he said, Joan, you're channeling Angie from Police Woman. That was a show that maybe you know. That, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah you yeah. do. Okay. Uh -huh. From 70, 1974 to 76, starring mm -hmm. Angie Dickinson. It was the first drama star starring a woman, actually. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And she was 40, actually. Yeah. Ooh, on every level. I know. Yeah. So that's how the name came to be, Jonas Policewoman. And I started performing under that name. I soon asked my, I mean, a drummer that I had been hearing play for a while, Ben Porowski, I asked him to play with me. I had this feeling when I would hear him play of of flying oh, wow. you know and and when you get that kind of feeling uh you got to somehow can't get get closer to that person and surprisingly he said yes i i don't know why still to this day but he said yes i'll 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 play with you so the two of us played as a duo for a long time and he was already a well-known jazz drummer. oh yes yeah right. he had already done tons of stuff yeah. and was still doing tons of stuff, you know. And then in the meantime, I was writing the songs for an EP uh, that, yeah, the first song that I wrote was called My Girl. I found a guitar on the street that someone had thrown out for good reason, because <laughs> all the pegs didn't move. And so the guitar was tuned to... I mean, we're not talking about like a cool sonic youth tuning. It was in a a completely off right. tuning. Mm -hmm. And I, I got the notes to the closest note that was in tune. And I wrote that song on that guitar. I mean, it was the the weirdest, wrongest way to write a song coming from, you know, not knowing how I was going to translate this into some other guitar or whatever. But you you make do with what you have, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I made an EP. No one wanted it. Uh, I manufactured it myself and then went on tour. I, I got it together real quick because uh, Rufus Wainwright had asked me to go on tour with him. That was starting February 2004. I had been playing in um, the artist formerly known as Anthony and the Johnsons since 1999. So I I left that band just as I am a bird now is coming out. Right. That's all right. Okay. I, I I had decided at that point I needed 
to put my music first because mm. I was playing with all these incredible people yeah. and I could have continued to do that and ignore my own music. But I, you know, because Rufus was having me open the shows, I, I, I mean, also because I, I wanted to play with him as well. I mean, that was amazing uh, were you opportunity. O- were you opening the shows and playing in his band? <clears throat> yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I got that EP together real fast so I could sell it uh, at, at the shows and went on the road with him and were they songs that ended up on real life? There were songs that were on from the EP. Right. And I was playing songs that were on real life, specifically real life, We Don't Own It, and The Ride. I mean, my second gig with Rufus was, was at the Beacon Theater in New York, which was one of the most terrifying moments in my life. I had seen Nina Simone there hmm. uh, a, a, a few years before. I'd seen Leonard Cohen there. I was... I, I I literally blacked out the show. I mean, I just I don't remember it at all because I was I was so terrified looking up into the you know the beacon. It's very very steep the seats and just looking up. I mean, I I, I was anyway made it through. I'm still here today, so something happened. And uh, a gentleman that owned a record store in the Midlands um, in Derby uh, saw me open for Rufus in Birmingham. And bought the EP and uh, brought it home and 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 thought it was pretty good and went back the next night to to the Nottingham show to make sure that he wasn't wrong about me uh, and uh, and then contacted me through MySpace later and said hey you know I I got a record store called Reveal Records and I want to start a label and I want your EP to be the first release and. Uh, Wait, I mean, before that, he ordered all sorts of boxes of them, and I thought he was throwing them out because he kept ordering more boxes, but he was playing it in his record store and getting people to buy it. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, which was beyond yeah. cool. So all of that was, was, a, was a great delight. I mean, it was quite a bit later. I met, I met Tom Rose, right. um, but uh, I, I, already, uh, I already knew who he was. And did it make sense to you to be having your record coming out on a label in the UK rather than in the States? Sure. I, I mean, I, I, I grew up listening to so much music from the UK. I mean, it was like, it was, it was such a huge part of my life. Um, I was just, I was just saying, I just did that. I just did that, the Africa express and I met Pauline black from selector and I almost oh, died. Yeah. I mean, I almost died anyway. On my breaks from the Rufus touring, I was, piecemeal recording real life okay at uh at the studio that i recorded the ep at which was which was called it's called trout recording Mm -hmm. uh and uh i think it's a spinal tap reference but i don't i think it is Uh, i met bryce when he was mixing an album for those bastard souls and we i we really just liked each other and like this was like in 1998 or something and he said, so do you make your own music? And I, you know, I just started and I was like, well, and he said, when you're ready to record your own stuff, come do it with me. And then, you know, this is before internet and ease, you know, the ease of information getting. Uh, and, um, you know, when I did, when I was ready to do the EP, I found his, you know, he had his same phone number and I called him up and I said, do you remember me? And, uh, and I went and did it with him, you oh, know? Cool. So I was there again recording what would be 
the the first album, first full length album, Real Life. And I had written a song with Anthony uh, in, in uh, on his piano. I started playing a riff, so that was on it too. I defy. recorded most of the record there was a few overdubs to be done but I had gotten all the basics done meaning the drums and the bass and all my overdubs Anthony had come in and recorded his parts I had gotten the horn I had gotten most most of the tracking on it done for my life up until that point I had been you know a significantly heavy drinker Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know that that was also something that I leaned on to get me through sure. a, a mm-hmm. lot of um, a lot of times. Uh, and <clears throat> when I was on the road with Rufus, I I just realized like I ha- I had to stop. Like it it needed to it needed to end. Uh, it, it was no longer serving me. I mean, right. it hadn't been for a while, but it, it was it was clear that it was no longer serving me. The, and there was a, a lot of people around me at that point that who were also uh, who would also quit. Mm. And I saw how their lives were. I just saw how they were laughing all the time, and just like things were not phasing them in a way that I would get phased. And I just wanted that, you know, I wanted that kind of. Um, stability, I mm. guess that sounds so adult, but uh, you know, it, it was it was something that I I was desperately needing in my life. So I I quit. Very uncomfortable, that's for sure. But really happy about it. So sometime afterwards, um, I got a call from Bryce, and he said. I have some bad news. And he said, um, so the engineer uh, had not uh, backed up your record and um, the hard drive has crashed. And we have done every data recovery possibility that is known and it's gone. And I I remember not even being angry or upset, just being a little bit like just dazed, you know. And then I heard him saying, but because we recorded the the rhythm section, the drums and the bass on the 16 track two inch, we have all of that still, which is 
really the most important part because you can't do anything on top of that unless you have the you know great uh, foundation and that was you know Ben Porowski and Rainey Ortica incredible uh, bass player so that was saved and it was so profound to me that I had to go back and record everything again as a non-wasted person. It's one of the great gifts I've ever received. I had a trial run, and then I got to do it all again with clarity, focus. Uh, you know, I got to do all the things. I learned a lot at that point about what worked with the songs, and I got to record it all again, you know, sober. That alone would have kept me sober for the rest of my life. Right. I mean, indeed, I I will, you know, I am and will continue to be. Uh, but you know, if 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 anything is more clear than that, I don't know. You did the right thing. You know. Do you have a memory of how different it sounded the first time you recorded it to the final? I I had like a couple of rough mixes, mm. and yeah, it sounded okay. <laughs> It didn't sound like it did when I did it again. Okay. You know, Christabel was very different. Right. Uh, the whole thing was, yeah. was very different. I just had uh, so much gratitude at that point. Yeah. Also, uh, that it just sounded, it sounded different. Right. In a, in a basic way, mm. even. You know, the, yes, there was a lot of details that were different. But you but were different. Yes, I was. Right. Mm. I mean, the part that I hated is that I had to get Anthony back into the studio oh, to do it again and everything, oh. but everyone was fine. You know, the engineer who I work with all the time with, you know, th throughout this whole time, he felt so bad. And uh, I remember saying to him then, like, no, you actually, you really helped me, you know? So yeah, the title track, Real Life, I did write as a, as a love letter to someone um, who I had met for five minutes, literally <laughs> five minutes, uh, at a show. Um, and clearly he impressed me. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he did not live in this country. So this country being? The United States of America, excuse right. me. He did yeah. not live in my country. <laughs> okay. He did not live in the country that I live in. So we were writing emails and and stuff and i was consumed with the idea that he must know how much i i cared mm -hmm. so i wrote this song about sending him a letter uh, and being in the being in the winter freezing my hands off you know being in the post office and thinking about how he would be feeling holding the letter, you know, extremely romantic stuff. And, you know, the really over-the-top part was that I put his name in it. Mm. And, you know, I mean, th this is something that I, I tend to do. Uh, oh, should I do this? Is it too much? Yes, it's too much. Do it. <laughs> Always. So risky. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
I am a risk taker. Mm. Yes, it's true. Uh, and um, I made a recording of it sitting at my piano uh, in in Carroll Gardens, where I lived at that point in Brooklyn. And I I sent it to him. And he was much more pragmatic than me. And he got the song and, you know, uh, before the sort of aria-like chorus comes in, it, you know, the words say, be reckless with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were on the phone and he said, but Joan, I don't want to be reckless with you. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> so much i couldn't i mean it was like wow okay it was so noble you know but also so like oh could, my yeah, god it was, it crushing was, it was crushing it was crushing and it was so actually so respectful mm. and responsible because i was not responsible mm. i was ready to fly over there not knowing this person you know just like being a crazy uh, romantic, which I am. And he was kind of like, no, you can't do that, actually. Wow. Yeah. Maybe 10 years later, he wrote me and said, what's up? <laughs> I happened to be, uh, I don't remember where I was, um, but I happened to be uh, wherever you are playing a show right now. And I, I, I saw him. He wrote me a handwritten letter uh, and gave it to me, and we hung out for a little while. So that that I mean, that song is like you know not really actually about him. No. It, you know, it's about me wanting so badly to be in love, yeah, and so badly to have that with someone. And you know, thankfully, he was responsible enough to say, "Yo, this isn't about me." Pretty much. Okay. You know, he didn't say that in those no. words, but. Uh, you know, ultimately that is what mm. um, is true. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that I've cried already in the podcast, um, it's 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 uh, it's it's good. That means probably I'll cry five more times. That's fine. One cry per podcast. Well, exactly. And at, and at this point, we'll play that song, and everyone can cry. Okay, great. i 
listening to this episode of the Jonethology podcast. My upcoming record, also called Jonethology, will be released on the 24th of May on Play It Again, Sam.